0: This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies' splendor, for each one is unique like a snowflake. <laughs> Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast.
1: This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with $25,000
2: Hi, I'm Tara Palmieri. I'm the senior political correspondent at Puck, and welcome to my show, Somebody's Gotta Win, where I'll take you inside the political machine during this very consequential election. I just want you to feel like you're eavesdropping on the inside conversation, so you're not surprised later when you're reading about it in the Times or the Journal. This is not a partisan conversation. There are a lot of other places where you can find that. This is about the players, the candidates, their teams, the donors or sugar daddies, as I call them, and how they play the game so that they can actually survive through the primaries until November 2024. You know, there are always expectations, there are failures, there's momentum, and then there's dropouts. People will be up and then they'll be down and there'll be surprises. So I hope you'll stick with me because if there's only one thing we know for sure about the next 16 months, at the end of this, somebody's got to win. Now, the first major event of this election season is the GOP debate this week in Milwaukee on Wednesday. Will it be entertaining? I'm sure. It's definitely going to be ridiculous at times. There are going to be a bunch of lame punches thrown sideways, maybe upward towards Trump. We'll see. It's bound to feel a little inauthentic at times, but also there might be a breakout moment. And there might be momentum for a new number two to challenge the leader in the party right now, which is Donald Trump. So for a lot of these candidates, it's a really big opportunity for them to get exposure, earned media, to get the eyeballs of the nation, which they really haven't been able to get. And then also to sort of be sized up alongside the other people in the race who you may not know as well. You may leave it kind of having a different feeling about maybe Nikki Haley or Tim Scott, who you might not know that well. Or maybe Doug Burgum blows your mind suddenly there's Burgum bros. I don't know. Anything can happen. But the first debate is for these little-known candidates to have their moment. It's also a moment for them to be turned into memes and to possibly fall off the face of the race. Donors are watching because, as we know, candidates can only keep running as long as they have money. And supporters can grow or they can fall aside. You can become a national embarrassment or hero or nothing at all. So that's why we're going to talk about this today and on Thursday after the debate when I'll be giving you my hot takes from Milwaukee. So my first guest is NBC correspondent John Allen, who has been covering these primary campaigns and debates for decades. He's also the rare seasoned reporter who has been on the ground for a lot of this preseason, you know, the, the months before the GOP candidates are on the stage Really sparring with each other up until now. He has two best selling books Shattered about the 2016 election and Lucky about 2020. You should read both of them, they are a masterclass in what happens. After John, I'll be bringing on another guest who has an interesting job collecting political intelligence on the ground in the early primary states for major donors, because it turns out they don't really trust the media's take on who is winning and who is losing. <laughs> um, they have to hire their own people, like all rich people. Get your own person. Um, it's just one of the cottage industry that's sort of cropped up around politics and power, and he'll be on next. But first, John, thank you so much for coming on. I kind of want to start off talking about how weird of a weekend this was. Have you ever seen a super PAC and a campaign both leak their strategies for the debate? And I'm talking about the DeSantis PAC, Never Back Down, leaking their advice for the candidate, and then the campaign pretty much shooting that down and leaking their advice for the candidate. What what, what happened this weekend? I'm just so confused.
0: It's kind of crazy, and it points to this pitfall of putting together a super PAC that has a lot more money than the campaign itself and is not able to coordinate with the campaign. Uh and so what happens mm. the super PAC tries to communicate publicly with the campaign, which is legal, as opposed to coordinating behind the scenes, which is illegal. And you saw in this case the Super PAC come out with this detailed debate memo, the likes of which I've never really seen released publicly before. I mean this is uh you know it's going into who Ron DeSantis should attack, who he should parry, how many times he should mention certain people. Um, and and it puts him in a little bit of a box because he either does what he's told to do by the super PAC, and that looks terrible, or he takes another strategy, and maybe the super PAC had some good strategic items in there, but uh, he then has to scrap them to avoid looking like he's taking cues from this super PAC. Uh, then the campaign comes out with its sort of counter-memo and says, forget all that. This isn't what we're doing. This is what DeSantis is doing, and, and it kind of puts him in a no-win situation, um, at least in terms of, What he's going to hear after the debate from other candidates and their spin makers who are going to obviously point to whatever he said that was in line with uh, the super PAC or whatever he said that was, uh, you know, in, in defiance of it.
2: Let's just say this. Ron DeSantis does not come off very authentically and he struggles with it. He struggles with that department. So to advise him to come up with nicknames, that's just very Trump. And not him. And I think that that lack of authenticity is why he's not really sticking with Trump voters. I mean, you
0: know, the flip side of that, Tara, is that he's pretty disciplined at the message he wants to deliver. Whether or not that's been the right message so far, his follow ups don't come uh, when he's giving a speech or he's got some sort of uh, prepared event going on. His follow ups come in uh, basic interactions with people in spur of the moment things. And so the idea would be, um, you know, he if you were advising him, probably have him look uh, as though he is shooting from the hip with something that is uh, already sort of rehearsed because he's pretty good at hitting the lines. But now that, becomes so clear to everybody so transparent that that's what's going on when he hits somebody or you know or again parries another person's jab or uh, you know the super PAC advised him to defend Donald Trump I'm not you know I think that's been a problem for all the other Republican candidates is defending Donald Trump makes them seem like weak versions like some people called called it the new coke right you know why why buy yeah. if he's got the actual coke so um I you know it's even worse for DeSantis because he's so disciplined Um, That he might be able to come off as naturally as he does with something that's rehearsed and disciplined, unless you're now looking for it.
2: Do you think this is political malpractice?
0: (laughs) 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 You said it. I didn't, Tara. I I think that they've gotten some attention for DeSantis, and not necessarily in the way that they would want to. Um, You know, now his performance is going to be judged on these metrics rather than uh, on the substance. And honestly, I think the people who are going to get the most out of this debate are whatever percentage of republicans are both interested and still making up their minds uh and if most mm. of what they hear about DeSantis has to do with whether or not he hit his marks or you know listen to a super PAC or listen to his campaign or that the fact that the super PAC and the campaign are fighting each other for power um you know yeah. they may miss out on the things that he's trying to tell them that might differentiate him from the field he is
2: a candidate just plagued by process stories like, there's nothing else to say, really. He He's just a process story candidate. I don't know how that happens.
0: I think part of it is that he rolled out a campaign without any agenda.
2: That's, pro- Yep. Yeah, it took a while. Mm-hmm.
0: And he rolled out a campaign slowly. He didn't jump into the race. He was getting advice from uh, everybody who liked him, from allies, to, like, jump in the race. And he kept holding off, holding off. He wanted to change Florida's resign to run law, which may work out well for him because he may end up continuing to be governor of Florida rather than being the Republican nominee for president. Uh, or the Mm. next president of the United States. But he wanted to wait for that. And Trump hit the hell out of him for months and months and months. Uh, And by the time he got in, uh, he was trying to introduce himself and create a narrative uh, that was different from what Trump had already sort of embedded with Republican voters. And he did not do that by hitting the ground running with a, a platform or an agenda for the public. Like one way to distinguish himself from Trump would have been to say like, here are my concrete plans. Meanwhile, it's Trump who ironically, like in 2016, didn't, you know, had a handful of things that he said he was going to do. Now, Trump's actually got a very uh, broad and detailed policy agenda.
2: Turns out when you run three times, you figure out how to do it, right?
0: Right. And there's a whole lot of people supporting you, a lot of 501c4s, outside groups that Uh, have been created just to advance Trumpism. So it's very easy for him to draw on this.
2: Right. He he actually seems to have a more sophisticated campaign than Ron DeSantis. I can't believe those words are coming out of my mouth. Okay. Um, Who has the most to lose in this debate?
0: I mean, DeSantis has the most to lose. He's still, he will be the first place candidate of the people on the debate stage. And there are people nipping at his heels. uh, And if he falls flat, uh, you know, he he could continue his downward swoon. I think he has the, like, absolutely the most to lose. It's hard to say that, like, you know, a candidate that's polling at 1% has a lot to lose. But DeSantis, who's polling, you know, in the in the mid to high teens nationally, actually has something to lose.
2: And who do you think could have a breakout moment based on your reporting on the ground? Like, who do you think has just, just needs that moment in the the sun for a second just to show what they're made of?
0: Yeah, I mean, what we've seen is that there are a handful of candidates that are a little stronger than uh, than the rest of the field that aren't Trump or DeSantis. So looking at Tim Scott or Nikki Haley, Vivek uh, Ramaswamy, like those are the candidates who have, um, you know, something to gain, uh, may also have something to lose. But they have to, like, basically encourage donors and voters uh, and get those folks to believe that they really have a chance to make up some of the gap between Uh, now in the Iowa caucuses.
2: Yeah, because Lord knows they'll never consolidate on their own. That's something we've learned in politics, right? (laughs) It's usually just because you run out of money.
0: The only incentive to stop running is when the plane stops flying because nobody's giving you money.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Do you think this first debate is a game changer for anyone or could be a game changer in the race?
0: I mean, I I hate to say no. Um, I hate to close Mm -hmm. off the possibility, uh, but I think it's more likely than not that it's not a game changer we live in a national media environment like most of the people who are interested in this stuff uh kind of know who these candidates are already and yes there are a lot of voters who say they're undecided and you know so it's it's certainly possible but the other thing is uh you know when you make an attack against somebody or you take a position uh you can gain some folks but you also alienate other folks and one of the problems for that concept of consolidating behind one candidate is that These candidates are very different from each other. Ron DeSantis and Chris Christie are very, very different from each other. They believe differently, um, you know, on almost everything except for lower taxes. So, you know, if you're talking about cultural issues, if you're talking about um, transgender care, things like that, like Christie and and DeSantis are almost polar opposites within the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. Um, You've got some candidates that are still cozying up to to President Trump. I mean, I've put Vivek Ramaswamy in that category of... Um, of people who are, you know, not willing to distance themselves much from Trump. So uh, it's going to be a wide array and try to figure out, like, how does one of those candidates get all of the non-Trump vote behind them? And it's it's hard to see how you do that. If it was only about the non-Trump voters hating Trump, then maybe you could see that happening. But that's not the case. A lot of the non-Trump voters like Trump. We just did uh, NBC and the Des Moines Register just did a poll in Iowa. And Donald Trump's favorability among Republicans there is, like, Sixty-six percent, right? So even those who I are not that. saying they're going to vote for him right now, a lot of them still like,
2: right? Okay, John, you have written a ton about debates, debate prep. If you could coach Ron DeSantis on this debate, what would you tell him to do?
0: <laughs> I try not to give advice, but I do think that um, he's in a position where the most important thing for him to is to not fall apart. Is to mm. simply hit the marks, not try to have a breakout moment, not you know, not find some way to. To stand out, but rather make sure that he's not that he doesn't walk out weaker than he than he walked in. And I also, you know, would say that it's impossible to see him beating Trump without coming up with some real contrast to Trump. And his argument so far has been that he's a Trump that could win a general election, but the polling doesn't really suggest there's much difference between DeSantis and Trump, and Trump as far as going up against Joe Biden. I mean, right now, if you look at all the national polls, Biden Mm -hmm. and Trump are effectively tied. So, you know, his biggest argument as a kind of Trump like candidate is gone. He needs to find a way to connect with Republican voters who like Donald Trump in a way that is different than Donald Trump. And maybe that's actually a little less anger, a little bit less scorn uh, for other people.
2: He just has to like make sure he doesn't like cock his head or like wipe his nose or look too angry like he does sometimes on the debate stage. Right.
0: Yeah, that's what I think. I mean, my view is that that one of the things Republicans don't like, the Republicans who have problems with Trump, even if they like Trump, one of the things they don't like is his demeanor. Right. And, you know, if anything, DeSantis can come off more surly than Trump, and I don't think that's helpful.
2: He does. Um, Okay, rest of the field at all, as I call them, any way they can sort of have a moment.
0: I mean, there's always somebody who connects with some idea that hasn't really been out there before um and you know mm. can gain a little bit of energy get gain a little bit of uh fundraising edge and somebody will make somebody will say something ridiculous to build their support from 1% or 2% to like 4%. um so i don't know who that will be i don't think it'll be Doug burgum you know through the candidates i don't know is larry elder going to be on exactly. the debate stage you know it's a, it's a hutchinson i mean but you know hutchinson's kind of locked into to where he's been um you know pence is in the same place which is that they are you know, very critical of Trump on on January 6th and the efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Um, And I'm not sure there's anything that they can say that will break through to voters who aren't upset by those
2: things. Right. So as for the other elephant in the room, while he won't be in the room, Trump, he's skipping the debate to do an interview with Tucker, uh, something I've been writing about for a while. I feel like Trump is just acting like an incumbent in this race. He's not debating. He's barely in the primary states. He's running national ads against Biden. He's like, I'm the president running against Biden in the same way that Biden sort of is treating RFK Jr. He's starting to treat the rest of the GOP primary candidates the same way. Sure, he still knocks DeSantis. He's trying to make this whole listless vessels thing happen. But I don't know. I think I mean, why should he be in any of these debates, really? Do you think it's a risky strategy to just sort of start acting like an incumbent?
0: No, I I think what happened is that the rest of the field failed to force Donald Trump to show up for this debate. The rest of the field has forced, not forced, uh, Donald Trump to debate them, uh, not just on the stage, but more broadly. Uh, obviously Trump is focused in on DeSantis, who is, has been the clear number two in terms of trying to make sure he doesn't rise. Uh, but the risk for Trump in debating is much greater. What if he's rusty? You know, what, what if somebody gets a couple of fingers in on him, right? Like that's, that's a risk for him i i don't know anybody uh any political operative that would suggest that their candidate debate when they have the kind of lead that donald trump has now could that change over the course of the next few months sure um and my guess is trump will make a, a sort of case-by-case decision on whether to participate in debates but like the, i don't see that there's a lot for him to gain um and and frankly there's again, somebody's going to have to force him into a position where he actually has to fight for the primary. He is the incumbent. He's the incumbent nominee, two-time incumbent nominee. You know, I, I'm trying to go for a historical comparison where somebody was uh, the nominee for a party three times in a row, and I'm, I'm falling short. You know, ba- obviously mm. FDR, who won, uh, you know, won four presidential elections, but typically after two, you're done. You know, this is, it is Trump's Republican Party until someone takes it from him, and there, there's really nobody else that even has, you know, like a quarter of the party.
2: Right. So you really don't see a number two ascending. We're pretty much staring down Trump versus Biden 2024.
0: Yeah. I mean, life isn't static. Things can change, but we are very much looking at, as we were on, I would argue, uh, you know, on the midterm election day in 2022, looking at a Biden-Trump rematch.
2: Got it. So all of these George W. Bush era donors who love Virginia's Glenn Youngkin, there's no way this guy gets it together and, and can somehow run on their money. I mean, that's the, this is the whole thing I've always been kind of thinking about. Donors are still giving out cash, right? They're trying to find a viable number two to take on Trump. And essentially, all of these candidates are on the debate stage trying to prove to their donors that they deserve more money, right? That they've got the momentum. They're the ones who deserve the cash to keep going. And yes they have to pull better. They have to have supporters, people on the ground thinking grassroots, starting to believe that they have some momentum too. And that's how donors get that information as well. But is this just a waste of time? Are these donors just still in denial? they, like, should they just give up thinking that they can put their money behind another guy to take on Trump?
0: I think people should, if they want to part with their money, they should give money to people that they believe in. Uh, But that's not really what happens all the time in politics. I think, you know, the, the the number of high dollar donors to DeSantis who have basically paused giving money to him is an indication that they think that uh that this is probably over and that there's no reason to antagonize Trump any further um the other thing to keep an eye on is or to keep in mind is Trump is has got more than 50 percent of the Republican Party in national polling and doesn't have any money right Ron DeSantis raised you know, like a couple hundred million dollars between his campaign and the money he transferred from Florida and the super PAC. And, you know, for all that money uh, has not gotten anywhere against a candidate in Trump who, you know, is not insolvent, but like really kind of scraping along at at the the lowest possible number. In fact, it's one of his PACs, the MAGA PAC has given out uh, in the last six months, they'd spent $30 million, most of it on lawyers uh, and taken in 15 million. And Trump's ability to earn media, the fact that he's got this really solid base. I mean, he doesn't need money to win.
2: No, and all of these candidates need this earned media to win. And what he'll probably do is turn himself in on Thursday morning, the day after the debate, and destroy all of their earned media from the debate.
0: Absolutely. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah, I think it's like, I think at this point, it's likely to be Thursday. Uh, it could be Friday. But if anybody thinks that they have momentum coming out of the debate, they will turn on television. Uh, on Thursday or Friday, and watch Donald Trump walking into a jailhouse.
2: And probably the best worst case scenario is like you just become a meme, right? Or
0: no? <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, you want, again, again, there are going to be people who are watching this who are undecided, who will actually pay attention. I don't think that's the majority of Republican primary voters, but there will be people who are doing that, and these candidates have an opportunity to connect with them through the debate itself. And certainly, voters who are already anti-Trump but undecided between these other voters are probably not going to be distracted. You know, by Trump showing up, uh, showing up in Georgia and turning himself in. Um, that said, you know they're st- they're they're all fighting over who gets to have the smallest piece of the pie right now. Meaning, mm-hmm. let me put it the other way: there is a Trump piece of the pie, which is most of the pie, and the rest of them are fighting to be number one in that for that smaller piece.
2: Mm, right, right, and just hoping to be propped up along by the never Trumpers and the donors just to be, you know, move along. I don't even know if they could win Super Tuesday. So what's the point in even getting there, right?
0: If I could come back for a second, you mentioned Gwen Youngkin. I mean, there is there is sort of the uh, Hail Mary scenario, which is, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, that that uh, DeSantis Super PAC Never Back Down has tons of money left. They still have tens of millions of dollars. I mean, there's a scenario. One
2: hundred and thirty million. Yeah,
0: there's a scenario in which uh, DeSantis drops out and that Super PAC still has Gobs and gobs of money to put behind somebody else. Um, you know, I I, I don't see the dropping out anytime soon. And if you're Gwen Yunkin, I mean, you would probably look at this race the way a lot of other Republicans did—Republican governors, whether it's Sununu or Hogan or any of the others—who looked at it and said to themselves, "You know what? Uh, beating Donald Trump is really difficult, and I don't think I don't think I could do it." Now they they won't put it in those terms. They'll say that somebody else can beat him. Chris Sununu wrote an op-ed in the New York Times saying that if everyone can solidates they can beat trump but if sununu believed that that was the case maybe sununu would have run himself right right would any of these people be a good third party candidate would any of these people be like if no labels could grab one of these people and make them their candidate would be like fun to watch and interesting and might attract voters
2: right i mean and would they actually take any of the votes from trump and like that's the big fear around no labels right Is that they'll only take votes away from biden
0: it's yeah it's it's a legitimate fear
2: right it's legitimate fear right uh, who would be a good no labels candidate? Probably. Or, or forgetting the
0: labels from it, just who would be like an interesting third party candidate?
2: Didn't they all have to agree though to support the Republican nominee to get on the debate stage? So I guess they'd have they to did. turn their. They did.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is all hypothetical.
2: Right. I mean, everything really we we don't we can't actually tell you what's going to happen on Wednesday night either. For all we know, Vivek Ramaswamy will jump off the stage into a mosh pit, exactly like Roger Ailes said to do, like jump into the (laughs) orchestra pit. Um, But he'll be rapping at the same time. Um, And it might actually um, somehow overtake any news around Trump turning himself in for a fifth time, which, you know. I don't know. To me, I think that the voters are starting to turn that out, tune that out or absolutely have already tuned out all of the indictments. So maybe they will pay attention to the GOP debate. How closely are early primary voters actually paying attention to these debates? Like they've already been able to like shake hands with Ron DeSantis at this point and Asha Hutchinson and Chris Christie in New Hampshire and Iowa and South South Carolina. Maybe not South Carolina yet. But how closely are they actually watching these debates? Because in a sense, like they're the ones who really get to pick. Right. And so the rest of us, it doesn't matter what we think. We're not the ones who get to choose who the candidate is. Do they watch or have they already made up their minds at this point?
0: I don't think they've all made up their minds. And the nice thing about a debate is if you're a voter, you're not looking at the candidate in a vacuum. I mean, we've noticed this year that it's hard for some of these candidates to get out and shake hands, but that should not be the hard part for a politician. This is combat. And being able to judge how a candidate performs under pressure in general, uh, in a back and forth with somebody who disagrees with them, you know, you can project that a, at least a little bit into what do they look like in the presidency? How will they deal with Congress? How will they would they deal as a diplomat? Are they tough enough? Are they gracious enough? And so I think that it really does give voters um, at least some information. It's not perfect. I mean, nobody nobody gets like, you know, a trial week as president to like show people how they would do it. Uh, but at least in this case, it's not just the voter shaking hands with somebody who's shaking hands with a million other voters. So I, I do think that right. there's a certain percentage that will actually pay attention and, and will look for, um, you know, sort of cues from.
2: It. And you'll be able to size them up next to each other to choose your, the person will be the number two to take on Trump. If they even get Choose that. your warrior. It's
0: like a, like a co- Mortal Kombat video game. Like at the beginning, you get to, look at all of them and be like, that's the one I want fighting for me.
2: Okay. So we know that Chris Christie will attack Trump. Any others you think will surprise us by really going hard at him?
0: I mean, the, the big question is always Mike Pence. Mm. You know, his, I think his team always wants him to go harder at Trump. And uh, he always comes up a little bit short and a little more genteel than I think his team would like. So, you know, what is the calibration of that? Does Mike Pence tell the tell the story of, you know, hiding in the cap- Capitol with his wife as, as Trump is egging people on, um, you know, and what, it was, and what that was like and, and get personal about what this guy did to him or, you know, at least, um, you know, what Trump let happen uh, without trying to stop it. So um, I, I'm interested to see what that level is from Pence.
2: Right. can he just go on the stage and say, like, do you know what it is like to be targeted for people to want to kill you? and to be hiding for your life. I mean, how does that not resonate with human beings? A fear for your life.
0: Right, you came after my wife.
2: You came after my family. And I worked for you for four years. Imagine if your boss was like, go kill him, go kill her. You know, it's just, it's crazy.
0: And then you see him, but when you see him come out and it's not angry and it's not personal and it's not emotive, it diminishes the impact of the actual thing that happened.
2: And I also just don't understand why these other candidates who truly believe they are more electable than Trump, why they just won't get on the stage and just say, listen, I know you love the guy, but if you actually want to win this election, you need to elect me because we do not know where he will be on his legal journey. And I am a true Republican warrior and this guy is not, able; he he may not be able to run for president. Do you want a Republican in the White House or do you want a Democrat? Like they just aren't able to communicate that clearly. I don't know why, but, or do you think Christie has?
0: I think part of it is that the experience of the Republicans is that Donald Trump was, a Donald Trump Republican president. And Donald Trump is pulling even with Biden. Um, and right. I think that the majority of Republican voters are not uncomfortable with another Trump term.
2: Right. And, then the, and these candidates do not want to alienate Trump voters. They want Trump voters. They can't win without them, right? They need them in the primaries.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, that's the value of having a, a solid base is that it's very difficult for people to peel them off. You know, you can't peel them off by being nice and you can't peel them off by attacking somebody that they like.
2: Yeah. So thoughts and prayers for all the primary voters who will be watching uh, the GOP debate to see how they actually I mean, they'll be polled first to see how they react to it. And the rest of us will just have to take whatever nominee they pick, which will most likely be Donald Trump, regardless of this debate.
0: Tara, I'm, I'm excited to see you in Milwaukee.
2: Yeah, it's not my natural habitat wisconsin but um i'll see you what in two was, hours there's
0: beer there's like a brewers twins game wednesday afternoon before the debate are you going to it i'm thinking about it depends on what time i need to be in the debate hall you know they both look like they're going to be playoff teams so you know okay. good, good early preview
2: cool cool thank you so much john for being on you're the best first guest of the somebody's gotta win podcast and I uh, would love to continue to have you on and uh safe journeys.
0: okay take care tara thank you bye Thomas' presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash! Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendour. For each one is unique like a snowflake. (laughs) Thomas' Huzzah! A toast to breakfast.
2: Okay. And we're back. And I am going to bring in Matthew Bartlett, who is literally a son of New Hampshire, as in he may be a descendant of the first governor of New Hampshire, Josiah Bartlett. And when you're in New Hampshire, you literally see street signs, Bartlett, all over New England. I mean, it doesn't get more old-school New Hampshire than Matthew Bartlett and the family. And so he actually loves the political game. He loves that New Hampshire is first in-state primary. And he has this really interesting job. It's kind of a job I don't think many people know about, but he is on the ground in New Hampshire for his public strategies firm. He's got all different types of clients. He doesn't just do this, but it's one job that he does that he loves, 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 loves. And he collects political intelligence. He's like the CIA of politics. Oh my God. He's talking to the donors. Yeah. He's talking to the activists. He's talking to the reporters. He's talking to the candidates, the campaigns. He puts together memos. And he just tries to get like a gut check and a vibe of who has momentum and basically he's telling these interests and donors who is worth investing in, who's got real promise, who could rise up, who could be a real strong number two to Trump in New Hampshire. And by the way, you can cut me off. Do you think Trump, by the way, will be the winner of the New Hampshire primary? Who do you think will be the winner?
3: Oh, God. Um, you know what an intro there, uh, yes, I have chosen poorly in life <laughs> and 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 welcome, welcome to my nightmare.
2: No way, you love it.
3: I do, I do. I live for this. every four years, the whole earth rotates the gravitational pull. Eyes of the world on New Hampshire candidates, campaigns, press.
2: So suddenly, everyone wants your opinion and advice, right? You're you're very important every four years. Uh,
3: location, location, location. Yes, <laughs> you know all the campaigns are like, who the hell was this guy? Um, in and out of events and, and the press are like, no, what do you do? Um, it's a good question. I still don't fully get it, but I've been in politics for a long time. Born in New Hampshire. Um, started off working in advocacy for the one campaign around HIV AIDS and poverty in Africa. It was just this blockbuster uh, presidential campaign, 2008. You so he's
2: a do-gooder is what he's oh saying. Oh my gosh. Um, in case you were wondering. It,
3: doing the right thing is is in everybody's interest. Yeah. In.
2: No, I think it's a good thing. 20 I years, agree. 25
3: million lives. Nice plug for PEPFAR. Amen. Um, but yeah, got to work in the Senate, got to work in the State Department, did a presidential campaign myself, the Huntsman campaign. Uh, it was a rough road here in New Hampshire. I think the world to the governor, but it's showtime here. We got candidates. You can't swing a dead cat in New Hampshire uh, without hitting a presidential candidate nowadays. Was at a cigar store the other day. And mm. Miami Mayor Suarez was there. I was with DeSantis the other day. Have been in the Red Arrow Diner, I think. Uh,
2: Wait, and just to be clear, you are actually recording out of a cigar shop in New Hampshire, correct?
3: Absolutely. You want to be connected to the base? Find a cigar store. That's the thing about New Hampshire. We have. Uh, people are like oh new hampshire's not diverse let me tell you we have diversity of opinion uh, like you've never seen and heard before all over Mm. the state so it's always good to be in touch with people um you know it's funny i watch cable news all the time and you know you hear reporters some of them probably never talked to a republican (laughs) voter in their life um and it shows Mm. so yeah it's a crazy time but um this is the biggest thing i I always say Imagine you're, you know, NFL starting. Imagine you're an NFL fan, right? And you get to go to Mm -hmm. the Super Bowl and your team's there. Well, this isn't like going to the Super Bowl. You're like watching the game on the field, you know, on the 50-yard line. It is the most powerful thing I've ever seen. The town halls, the campaign stops, meeting the candidates. There's nothing like this.
2: Who do you think has the most potential right now, based on what you've seen in the field?
3: Listen, this is a one-person race right now. Uh, It's Donald J. Trump. If your name is not Donald J. Trump, you're having a bad day. I would, you know, I would welcome this race and this race may become a two person, maybe in my three person race. Um, But right now, you know, running for president, Donald Trump made it look easy in 2016. He, he was like mm. a guy who's like, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to go to the championship. I'm going to slam dunk the ball. I'm going to shoot every three pointer. And people mm. kind of laughed at him. And, he, and then he showed up and did.
2: Well, he lost in Iowa. I think it wasn't that smooth. His 2016 race.
3: I guess if you compare it to the expectations we're like, this guy will never get over 2%. Right. Um, and then he started steamrolling, right. and going to debates and punching people's lights About I mean, this is a force like we've never seen in American politics.
2: Right. But people are still paying you to find out who the number two is because they're desperate for a number two, right?
3: Um, I think people are very interested in this race.
2: As in people, I mean donors and other never Trumpers.
3: Well, I wouldn't say that. I mean, listen, there's a whole lot of consequence as to who's the nominee, as well as who's the next president. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah. who can break out? Can they break out? Who's got the the Who's the right candidate? Who's the right running the right yeah. campaign? Um, and there's just the energy you got to harness it.
2: And who has it? Who has the energy right now? We know that Trump has the energy, but who other than Trump has momentum? Who has the energy right now? It doesn't... Listen, I'm not holding this to you. I'm not going to come back and be like, you were wrong. He dropped out of the race a month later. But right now, who has the most potential on the ground?
3: Um, it's that's
2: For number two, please. Yeah,
3: still a hazy question.
2: Okay, can we rank the people on the ground right now? Vivek, Ron. Yeah,
3: Vivek, Ron.
2: Nikki, Haley. Maybe
3: Nikki. Uh, Tim Scott, you know, could he do something that's unclear? It's funny. I saw him three times in New Hampshire. The first two... He was doing a weird whisper and then talking about Jesus and the Bible and and abortion.
2: They don't like that in New Hampshire. You do not right? do
3: that in New Hampshire. We are live free or die. Keep your hands off my taxes. Okay. Go live your life. Um, but the third time, mm-hmm. he blew the doors off in Salem, New Hampshire. It was incredible. He was funny. Mm-hmm. He was, uh, you know, talking about conservative ideas. Um, he was relating to people, took every question under the sun, but we haven't seen mm-hmm. him since. So it's like, come on back, Senator.
2: Okay, so maybe he thinks his game plan is in Iowa right now cuz I've seen he's there a lot. Do these GOP debates matter for primary voters in New Hampshire who are getting so much exposure to the candidates anyway? They're getting to like actually shake their hands and listen to them in town halls.
3: Well, twofold. Like it could matter, right? Like you could have a breakout moment and that clip's going to go viral mm. and you somehow appeal to people or or get on people's radar that you've never seen. Mm-hmm. Um so it totally could matter. Um but if you look at, you know, absent Donald Trump, If you look at historically Mitt Romney, um, uh, you look at John McCain. I don't think any of them had these amazing debate performances. I do think it was the, Mm. I'm going to campaign uh, my way to the nomination here in New Hampshire.
2: Okay, so they don't care. They already know the candidates. They don't need, they're not meeting them for the first time like the rest of us basically on the the debate stage. Yes and no.
3: You know, if you're a normal person, you're going to vote in the New Hampshire primary. But right now, you're at the beach. You're not going to the town halls right now. You're not going to the campaign stops. It's a hard summer to build crowds. I've been there before. You know, you get 30 people in a room. That's a great event. Um, Everyone wants hundreds, but it's a grind. And people got, you know, there are people here in New Hampshire that still don't know who Ron DeSantis is. And he's been up here several times now. Was with him on Friday night and Saturday um, all over the state here. How did he do? It's, uh, it was interesting. Again, he's kind of stumbled out of the gate a little bit here, um, stumbling out of Tallahassee, maybe thinking that he was the top dog down in Florida. Mm. And then you get your teeth kicked in. And sometimes that's a good thing. It's uh, good candidates get better, bad candidates get worse. Um, and Ron has um, you know, I thought it was remarkable to see him in in Nashville on Friday night. Came out and he started talking about the first time. He was a baseball player in college. You know, people want to know who you are, right?
2: Okay, so he's starting to talk about himself rather than Florida this, Florida that, Because that's all I heard when I was in New Hampshire.
3: First times in Fenway Park. Now what a relatable thing for everybody in that room. First times in Fenway Park. Talked about a family he met in Iowa. Um, you know, they're talking about trying to mm-hmm. pay the bills, uh, the grocery bill, and then got into his vision for America. So that that seems like a, a much more appropriate appeal than maybe some of what he's doing, uh, what he's done in the past. Where I've seen him talk about, you know, pension assumptions or, or 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 you know, budgets in Florida, which really doesn't connect with people.
2: Okay. So I know you don't want to give away the goods because people pay a lot of money to know who you think is the most viable second to challenge Trump. But could it be Ron DeSantis? Do you think he is the most viable person to challenge Donald Trump?
3: Uh, Listen, it could be. Could be. Who knows? Let's see how he does. But not
2: right now. That's not what you're seeing right now. You wouldn't wouldn't place a bet on him yet.
3: I like Tim Scott. I, I think he appeals to people. Um, his economic mobility. This was a fun guy. This is a guy you wanted to be around. And mm-hmm. it's funny, I, I was talking to I think you know John Allen, right?
2: Yeah, who we have who we have on earlier.
3: Yeah. So we were we were um we were going to some events and my notion was just like right now the Republican Party is in a foul mood. We're in a bad mood. Back in 04, the notion was like, you, I wanna vote for George Bush. You know why? I wanna have a beer with him. Now this guy didn't even drink, right. but he related to people. Um I think right, right. now the Republican Party wants a nominee who will break a beer bottle over the opponent's head. And that's Donald Trump right now.
2: Okay. And no one else can break a beer bottle over their opponent's head.
3: We'll see if you can change the mood of the party. Are we looking for an optimistic, better days ahead candidate? Or are we looking for someone who's just pissing mad, has had enough, and wants to go down to D.C.?
2: I feel like... DeSantis is kind of that way. When you hear him, he's like DeSantis after dark, slitting throats and, you know, all these like army terms and he's super dark. And I don't know, to me it sounds like he's got that sort of I'll kill people with beer bottles or whatever. He's got a, a bit of that dark energy.
3: I think that's true. Uh, Trump seems to have it, but there's a sense of humor to it, right? There's uh, right, it's, yeah. it's like it's like you're watching Goodfellas, right? And I was I was listening to Rewatchables the other day. It's a horrifically brutal brutal, you know, dark movie, but it's also one of the funniest movies you've ever seen. That's Donald Trump, right?
2: Yeah. Full disclosure, you also worked for Trump in the State Department,
3: right? Full disclosure, you're talking to a Trump appointee, believe it or not.
2: But you left.
3: Resigned on January 6th. Though Thought it was a disgusting day. Right.
2: Would you ever work for him again?
3: No. No, no. Got that t-shirt. Listen, I went and worked um, at the Global HIV AIDS Program greatest thing I've ever... If I die tomorrow, you can put that on my tombstone. Incredibly proud. Um, Mm. But, you know, it was a very weird um, president and presidency.
2: Yeah. Okay. So we are going to have a part of the show called Spin of the Week. Okay? And what I'm trying to figure out right now is that obviously Trump's team is trying to make listless vessels happen. They're trying to make it the new deplorables. They'll probably try to put it on T-shirts and hats. And, you know, Trump will keep going on and say, do you believe... Ron DeSantis called you listless vessels. Okay, I want to read to you where this is coming from. Ron DeSantis told the Florida Sander, if all we are is listless vessels that are supposed to follow, you know, whatever happens to come down the pike on Truth Social every morning, that's not going to be a durable movement. And I get it. He's basically saying like, if you just act like a bunch of sheep, this isn't going to be a movement, right? Listless vessels, sheep, deplorable. I just don't think the phrase works. So I don't think it's really easy to spin this into something bigger than it is. What do you think, Matthew? Is Listless Vessels going to be the new deplorable? Uh, has this killed Ron DeSantis with any Trump supporters? I mean, if you're a true Trump supporter, you've been hearing him for months yeah. just saying that Ron is a rhino and he's not one of us. So I don't know. What do you think? Is this, is this damaging to Ron DeSantis or is this just another ding from Trump?
3: I mean, I don't see it yet. You know what I mean? I know plenty of Trump voters. They're not running around screaming about listless vessels, at least not yet. Give me a break. Uh, this is what you do in a campaign. You try to like force moments and, and sometimes it takes and sometimes it's just stupid. Did Ron screw up? Is his career doomed? There goes the Oval Office because you use that term. Doubt it. But you know, this is what you do. It is hand-to-hand combat every single day. Whatever's in front of you, you find a way to just hit the opponent with. Um, and it's right. sometimes not just how you get hit, but it's how you respond. You know what I mean? Good candidates make that attack like work great on them.
2: Okay, so how would you respond if you were in like campaign, you know, crisis mode? How do you respond to listless vessels?
3: Right now, the Republican Party just cares about like, doesn't care about policy right now. Um, It's all attitude and swagger. You're too young, but like SNL used to have like this portrayal of Frank Sinatra. It was Phil Hartman back in the day. And it was just like an old Frank Sinatra who doesn't care anymore, And like, it doesn't even matter what he says. It's how you say it. That's Donald Trump right now. The base Mm -hmm. Republican Party, they want a feeling. They want a feeling that like, I've had enough. You know what? It's a powerful force. This is a country built on like, fuck you, right? Like we told this, Mm -hmm. we told the Brits back in the the colonial days. That's still a very powerful American force. Can be a great thing. Can be a beautiful thing, right? Innovation, entrepreneur, change, change everything, Mm -hmm. whatever. Trump has that right now with the Republican Party. I think you need, as a candidate right now, you can't be running scared. All these guys and, and 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 women, Nikki.
2: Yeah, but still, taking you back to this question, how do you respond to listless vessels? Do you ignore it? Like, they're demanding that he apologize. Yeah. Say, like, you didn't get what I meant. Or just, just wait for the news cycle to pass. There'll be something else tomorrow. Like, Trump will turn himself in and everyone will forget. I mean, deplorables has had lasting power. People are still saying deplorables in MAGA land and Trump supporters. like. That 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 lasted. Is this a brand moment for Trump is what I'm trying to figure out.
3: I don't see it. I don't see it. I think it's forced. I think it's so manufactured. It. I think it's um, you know, a little astroturp. Bad spin. It's bad spin. Yeah, it's bad spin. From the scenes you go out there and go, like, you know, give me a break, man. Like, give me a break of listless vessels. I'm you know, and then double down on, on something that's a strength. But you gotta show that attitude and the swagger. That's what the Republican voter wants.
2: He doesn't have that though. He's just He's trying to be a candidate. He's trying to be everything that these donors and everything that really the Republican establishment wanted him to be, you know, and he just doesn't have it. Well, he's got, he doesn't have that je ne sais quoi. Maybe he'll come into it, but I don't know. It's a little late. You got to have that when you're out there. Running
3: for president is not easy. Your greatest day is the day before you announce, right? You think everyone's telling you how great you are. Mm -hmm. Then you announce and everyone hates your guts. They want to tell you how much they hate your dog Mm -hmm. too. Uh, you know, your kids, your wife, oh, whatever. It's brutal, 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 brutal. Yeah. And you got to be able to stare death in the face and laugh. And you got you to have confidence and you got to carry on and you got to have, you know, get your campaign to help turn those bad days into good days. That's what winning candidates do. It is not a natural behavior. It can be a learned behavior, but it takes time. And it really, a, a candidate's got to dig deep.
2: Got it. All right. So ignore listless vessels, move forward. Hope for some more drama. Write it down. (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much, Matthew. I'm sure we will have you on many, many, many times. We need to get the feeling on the ground in New Hampshire, as much as I'm sure I will be there often. I mean, I know you are the most plugged in person. I've seen you work on the ground there. You are an operator. You know everyone. I'll be in Milwaukee covering the debates immediately after. We'll drop another episode on Thursday morning so you can get my hot takes. And... You'll be in New Hampshire. So we may check in with you and see how, you know, the base in New Hampshire took it. Because, I mean, after all, that's who you have to win to get to the next set yeah. of primaries. And you really need that momentum from winning New Hampshire. And we'll see who they thought was the winner. Obviously, Trump won't be there. And maybe it's just Trump's the winner. These people are a bunch of losers. Who knows? Maybe somebody has a breakout moment. And everyone says, gives, a, you know, Tim Scott a double take or Nikki Haley. And who it just becomes obliterated? We'll have to check that all out.
3: (laughs) This is the Granite State, and it is a rocky road to the White House. You know, before before you go overseas, before you go to China, before you go to Munich, you know, you're going to Manchester.
2: Thanks so much, Matthew. All right, we'll check in with you again. Check you later. Thank you so much for listening to our inaugural episode of Somebody's Got to Win. Tweet at me at Tara Palmer with your suggestions for segments. What do you want to hear more of? What do you want to hear less of? I'll be in Milwaukee for the debates. I'll be in the spin rooms talking to the candidates, their advisors, in the smoky back rooms. I'll be covering it all. I'll be dropping an episode the next day on Thursday with my hot takes and the takes of other insiders that are in the room. Thanks.